Hi, and welcome to Serenity Now, a place for entrepreneurs to ask questions, learn, get connected, and be inspired. Join us as we talk about all things business and the search for the ever-elusive Serenity Now in both business and personal life. In this episode, we speak to Neil Belenke, a serial entrepreneur with experience in a range of industries. Neil shares the highs, lows, and how-tos that he has learned in his decades of being a business owner and partner. Here's a different insight from Neil about developing business plans. People talk about a business plan. I don't believe in business plans anymore. I believe in a financial plan only. And so the business plan, paragraphs, photos, charts, all those different things to me are extra. What's most important is the income, the losses, the liabilities, and what's left as a profit. And that to me justifies whether or not a business can be successful or not. So we know financials are important. And as Neil discusses, so are people. So how do you find the right people to grow your business? I try to do my own form of reference checks. So I'll use LinkedIn, for example, and I'll take a look at who I know, who knows that individual, as opposed to asking that individual for the references who are undoubtedly going to be positive. I take a look at the people that I know and trust, and I ask them for their thoughts on those individuals. And when things shift in your business, how do you know how your selected team is right? You can't really predict what someone is gonna be like until it's gone wrong. The people who think that everything is always going to go smoothly are people who are just younger and more inexperienced because it never goes smoothly, whether it's marriage, whether it's business. And so until you've actually been through a tough time with someone, only then do you know how they're gonna act. Here's another nugget of wisdom from Neil. People who are trying to do it all themselves and aren't tapping the shoulders of people who've actually done it themselves first are taking a significant risk. And even if someone loves you, you go to a parent and say, what should I do? If the parent doesn't have experience in business doing exactly what you're trying to, solving the problem that you're trying to solve, despite their best of intent to protect you, they are not as well equipped as someone who has solved that problem before. It doesn't matter what stage in business you are in. If you are an entrepreneur, many of Neil's stories and shared lessons will resonate with you and help you develop your spidey senses in business so that you can gain some serenity now. Let's take a listen. Welcome to today's podcast, Serenity Now for Entrepreneurs. We are so excited to have Neil Belenke join us today. Neil's known Rita, one of our Serenity sisters, for more than a decade. So I'm going to have Rita chime in and tell us a little bit more about Neil. I'm just going to echo again what Stephanie said. We're very excited to have you join us today. And I think we met back in 2010, I believe. So yeah, that's it's over a decade now. Happy anniversary, belated. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And it's lovely to be here with you ladies as well. Thank you for having me. He's been involved in a ridiculous amount of companies, not one at a time, but several at a time. So he's a serial entrepreneur. He's been involved in growth, operations, investment strategies. This has not just been in one industry. It's been across industries. So I'd say we're speaking to somewhat of an expert here, but Neil, I'll let you take it away. A little bit about my background, and thank you, Rita, is that I'm fortunate to have met a staggering number of brilliant people 
There's a wonderful saying that if we see further, it's on the shoulders of great people. I'm lucky enough to have worked with many of these great people. And I've worked with some that I've learned from who were not great. And I try to take what uh, shortcomings or challenges that they faced and, and learn from myself and try to share those experiences as well. I've worked in almost every industry except oil and gas and mining. I've started technology companies. I've worked in manufacturing companies. I've run a public multinational company in the biotech space. I'm currently uh, owner and uh, running one of the larger trade companies in in British Columbia. I am fortunate, as I said, to have seen the best practices in many different industries and been able to help to apply them or introduce the ideas behind them to different industries who, once exposed, think, hey, why haven't we been doing that forever? Why is that only something they've been lucky enough to do somewhere else? So I'll try to share some of these experiences today and hopefully they'll help as well. And if they're coming from your industry, then you'll probably recognize them, but are fortunate in that you've already learned those lessons where others may have yet to get that scar in business. You've launched, as you said, a lot of different businesses. How do you go from evaluating an idea, getting excited about an idea or someone bringing an idea to you and then going from that stage to now I want to go ahead with it? How do you do that? Yeah, it's a great question because I don't do it the way we're all taught. When we go to school, we meet the first mentor. People talk about a business plan. I don't believe in business plans anymore. I believe in a financial plan only. And so the business plan, paragraphs, photos, charts, all those different things to me are extra. What's most important is the income, the losses, the liabilities, and what's left as a profit. And that to me justifies whether or not a business can be successful or not. Once it can be determined as successful moving forward, the second and only piece that matters is people. Don't worry about all the talk. I don't worry about the sales pitches. I just worry about the income, the profit what's left and the people and everything else is good to go. When you say the people, Neil, why don't you just expand on that a bit? Because that's a common thing across all industries, across all businesses. It doesn't matter where you are. People are important for your success. That's a superpower, which I've, I've openly told everybody that I've ever met that I don't have. So I'm not good at reading people. When others have spidey senses and they recognize that someone may or may not have been a good fit for something. I'm the last person to know. And when it all falls apart, they say, I saw that coming. And I always say, why didn't you tell me sooner? For those who are who are challenged in, in the area of being able to assess people, I fall back on the, the, the wonderful adage, trust but verify. I fall back on other people who, if they have inklings of concerns or their spidey senses tingling about someone else. And if I'm left with everything else being up to me to try to determine I try to do my own form of reference checks. So I'll use LinkedIn, for example, and I'll take a look at who I know, who knows that individual, as opposed to asking that individual for the references who are undoubtedly going to be positive. I take a look at the people that I know and trust and I ask them for their thoughts on those individuals. And then something I've done only most recently in the trade company, I've asked people if they're willing to work for a day or to do a project fully paid to see what they can do rather than just trust and hire them in advance of being able to make sure that it's a good fit, not only for the output of the project for us, but also if they enjoy the work and working with our team at the same time. So I'm trying to take the trust, but verify as far as possible because intuition isn't something I can speak to with experience successfully, at least. You recognized your weakness, built some strengths around it. It's easy to recognize it when you just get pummeled over with it over and over and over again. <laughs> I learned that the person who talks the most about integrity is the one you have to be worried about. I worry about the one who talks most about what they give back is the one you have to worry about whether or not they're doing something they're trying to cover for. I worry about the ones who drop names all the time because um, they're focusing you on a single thing, hoping to establish credibility rather than based on an outcome. It's always best, I think, to measure. If they talk about the stock market, past performance is not, a, is not indicative of future success or does not guarantee future success. I actually think in the human side of things, past performance is an absolutely wonderful indicator.
indicator of potential future success. And so that's why I do my best to try to do it in a studied way, in a measured way, a quantifiable way, and relying on other people for all those other things that are not quite as quantifiable. I like that you've already put up some red flags for people, things that they should be alerted to. That That's really kind of the theme of what we want to talk about today is how we should see these red flags. And as you say, not hear about them six months later when we have to fire someone. The red flags are the challenges that we face. If everything works out on paper and the business by itself is a functioning business, the pet rock business, I think, made $16 million US. If some guy can sell gravel for $16 million US and show a profit, any business should be able to be managed on the marketing side, the human side, the delivery, all the supply chain, everything else. It's just money in versus money out. Put all that aside and it comes down to people. It's the red flags, but what's going to screw it up? Who has trouble working with each other? Who's not able to you know, secure, to finish their part of the team's work in, that has to be completed? And everybody else is relying on that, then it's going to fall apart. And that that is uh, not always easy and can't always be predicted. If you have good people around you, the most important part is that everybody will be aligned in trying to solve the problem together. No one will take too long to ask for help and let everybody else down. When there is a question around values, it's uh, or, or values could be tested, you don't have to worry about for the first time wondering what's, what someone is going to do and if you can trust them. So th- having the right people around the room will help to make sure that those red flags are dealt with, whether they were foreseeable or they came up and uh, you couldn't have had any warning. I think you're better at reading people than you think you are. No, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm really, I'm really not. I'm really not. I'm speaking from experience, which is always hindsight is twenty twenty. And right, so uh, right. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, artificially or hyper humble. I truly am bad at it. And as a result, you've seen me make it as scientific as possible to remove the instinct and intuition aspect, which I so sorely lack. One of the biggest risk pieces that anyone in finance or investors are looking at is character, which is what you're describing. And I do fully agree on past performance of a person is indicative of their future and how they will act, react and work together and or not. Flip it around and say, well, do you actually have a superpower? So you talked about some of your faults or weaknesses or or not superpowers, but come on, there's got to be something there. If we all try to play to our strengths, which is what I try to do as well, there's two things that I, I think I've done well over time. The first is I've been able to bring together fantastic people and help create an interest that people who I respect immensely to join part of the team or part of the project or have interest in becoming part of something. Creating a large network and then, and then bringing people together focused on a goal has been something I've been successful with. One could argue it leads into what I, I think I've had others. My, my other strength is, which is closing deals. I see strategically the chessboard, maybe more clearly or, or just in a different way than others do based on my screwed up brain. And as a result, strategically, I've had a lot of success closing a lot of deals. I, I built my career originally based on sales. And instead of trying to expand my experience, as many do when they're in a large company, they try to learn all the different aspects of the company. Rather, I became a specialist at the hospital business and went further and further into how to be better at closing deals, higher value deals, more profitable deals, bringing the right people in on the deals. And that's that's what I've always focused on. So when, you know, the success of bringing other people in, those other people are essential in, a, you know, in closing the deal, whether it's lawyers or finance, um, HR for validating the right people are in place or bringing the right people on after the deal is consummated. And then after you still need all the different operators and great people and skill sets in order to be able to manage the new business as a result of the deal. So I've tried to specialize specifically in one area, but having that background of having all the other people around in advance is what's really made the outcome successful. I hear what you're saying and I see this. I'm a, a tax accountant, so I work with a lot of different businesses. And I see this time and time again where they the owner of the company is the boss of the company and they think they have to do all of the stuff. 
They have to be able to do the finance. They have to do to be able to do the sales. They have to be able to do this, that, and the other. And they don't recognize when it's time to bring somebody in. So I think that's I think that's a really important idea, concept, whatever you want to call it. Well, you just have to fail at things enough to finally realize you can't do them. And at the same time, if you are successful and you build on that success, you stay in your lane, then it is predictable. Uh, and it is likely that you're going to be able to replicate, given this, given similar circumstances, a similar outcome, again, if you are responsible for the same role. The hardest part when it comes to the people and the operations and everything actually getting done, the hardest part is you can't always find people who you have personal knowledge or experience with and they have been tested and you've seen how they have acted after having been tested. You can't really predict what someone is going to be like until it's gone wrong. The people who think that everything is always going to go smoothly are people who are just younger and more inexperienced because it never goes smoothly, whether it's marriage, whether it's business. And so until you've actually been through a tough time with someone, only then do you know how they're going to act. And I'll give you a good example where I've had people say, we don't have to worry about putting together a bonus plan. If you close this deal, you're going to earn 10% and we'll just do a shake on it. And it sounds great. And in the past, and I've made this mistake myself, if that 10% might equate to 50 grand, 100 grand, then that person may have paid in the past. But when that 10% is worth more than a million dollars, have they ever paid out more than a million dollars on a handshake before? And so we, we as humans, and I have made the mistake before, taking a leap of logic, deduct, deducing that they've done this in this circumstance before, we'll just carry that all the way through. But when you take a look at things like much higher dollar figure payouts or compromising morality, Unfortunately, uh, if they haven't been tested in that way, you can't guarantee it. And this goes back to how to deal with the red flags and where my skill sets are lacking. I try to make sure everything is, you've had those hard conversations at the start in advance of actually getting into the hard times. Because if you have those tough conversations when you're getting along, you're able to not only hopefully less emotionally in a, in, a, in a more favorable environment, work through those tough conversations about what if, and if so, how will we manage that? Then later, when you already have it papered and you've already talked through those different tough times and you're in them, it's easier for you to say, remember, we talked about this. This is the outcome. And if someone says, I don't remember it like that, then you have a piece of paper that says, this is an example of uh, what this piece in our contract is representing. And here's what we already agreed to do. It takes you through the toughest times by having the tough conversations in the easier times and setting them up in advance. And that's that's been a big help for me is taking making the uh, effort or taking taking the time with each of the different people we work with to ensure that the preparation in advance of the tough times is always done and not assumed it's just going to be hand, you know, honeymoon the entire time. You know, I, I fully echo that. Uh, one of the things that I come across in, I think, 97% of all partnerships that I've worked with that's a huge number, but having a shareholder agreement in place is a great understanding. So like you said, when you start the business, everyone's excited. You've got different skill sets, you've figured out a niche or a gap and how a, a, you know, a problem that you're going to solve with your product or solution. And then I've got it, you know, I'm going to get out there, we're going to do all this good stuff. And, you know, two people can change direction at any time. Life can happen at any time. And if you spell out the shareholder agreement in advance and walk through the stuff, as you said, in the good times, when you have a clear head, there's not like 500 crises or fires coming at you that you're putting out. 
then yes, you will have a way to spell out how to move everything forward should things go the wrong way or the wrong direction. So I couldn't agree more because I believe that's been probably one of the many reasons we get pulled into businesses is exactly for that. And it's often meant from the best of intentions. People think, no, we're going to be great. We're not going to need this. The best of intentions, unfortunately, don't always work in your favor or anybody else's favor when things are unexpectedly not as sunny as you would hope. The process, to your point, Rita, about a shareholder agreement, lawyers, God bless them, have done a wonderful job of identifying everything that can go wrong. And so by virtue of having to work through a shareholder agreement, you address all the things that have ever been seen that have gone wrong by a lawyer before. And you get a chance to talk through and say, what if, what if, what if? I think something people forget is that a shareholder agreement is what everybody falls back to when everything else fails. But you don't actually have to stick to the shareholder agreement if things change and both sides agree. So that's the most important part is it's a safety net, but it's not the only way forward. And so having talked through the tough times, figuring out what's going to happen, having put on paper in the shoulders agreement, if this happens, this is what must be the, uh, this is what must follow. If both sides, Rita, if you and I are in agreement and, and we're, we're, in it, we're shareholders and we say, you know what, that's what the shareholder agreement says, but what if we just do this? And you say, yeah, Neil, I think we should just do that. Well, guess what? We just amicably fixed something and changed it regardless of the shareholder agreement. And it's only if we couldn't come to an agreement that that shareholder agreement helps us to get through, hopefully, as simply and as cheaply as possible, something we couldn't solve on our own. So I have a question about that because we talk about shareholder agreements and that usually means that you're involving more than one party at the start of a business or whatever it might be. What would you say to those who are solopreneurs? What we're seeing these days is a lot of people who are coming into business and we're talking about red flags, right? So you come in and you're passionate about what you want to do. And so how do you keep yourself accountable to ensure that you're not just holding on to a business because you're passionate about it, but it really can stand up as a business? What would you say to that? Oh, there's so much there. First thing, if someone hasn't set their business up properly, they shouldn't ever expect that any other business will take them seriously. So if they don't have a business set up formally, legally, then they're obviously not set up for long-term success and shouldn't expect to close a big deal because they should be expecting to have to manage their taxes appropriately. They should have the legal shields in place. They don't lose their personal assets. And anyone who doesn't take advantage of setting up that structure is not likely to be someone who's going to close a big, genuine deal with a large client because the client, the client is going to expect to see that and will judge them negatively for not having seen that level of professionalism setting the company up. For those who, on your point, Steph, who are holding on to everything and they own 100% of the company, people will ask the question, well, what about 100% of a smaller pie isn't worth as much as 75% of a much bigger pie? That's right. However, one of the reasons I was saying is such a big conversation point. How do you gift? How do you let someone earn? How do you protect the company through that process of, of letting a second person come in? Having them earn in? How do you protect the company and yourself against the wrong person coming in? Legally, there are a number of ways that it can be done. We wouldn't have time to go through them all. But the important part is, is that it takes time to plan. Uh, it takes time to work through what is actually going to be recognized as valuable for the person you might want to bring in. They have to want what you're offering because you may take a lot of time trying to come up with an offer that is, for example, equity. And in the end, they didn't want equity because they can't afford the risk or they don't want to be owners. They don't want to have a dilution of their um, liability to something else that they've got going on. There's so many conversations to be had that come back to if you can't do it all yourself. And I don't know anybody who ever has. Yes, bringing the right people on is, in my mind, the only way to be successful. Gretzky, all the other big, great superstars, except maybe Federer, who didn't play doubles. 
but he still had a team. He still had rehab. He still had travel, logistics, PR. And you have to have someone else go through a negotiation and on the cap table. Sometimes you do. Other times you just have to find ways to make sure that they're invested uh, emotionally and that they'll, they'll stick with you long enough that um, you can rely on them as a team member without having to share equity to do it. And I think that's why one of your ventures is also so successful, $2,000 Coffee, where you can be a partner to companies, maybe a business owner is looking for advice or they're looking for support or other partners. And Rita, you're in this as well, finding partners to help grow organizations. And so I think that's really important for those who feel like you're alone out there because you are the solopreneur and it's your idea to be able to tap on the shoulders of those who have the expertise, the lawyers, the accountants, the business advisors. People who are trying to do it all themselves and aren't tapping the shoulders of people who've actually done it themselves first are taking a significant risk. And even if someone loves you, you go to a parent and say, what should I do? If the parent doesn't have experience in business doing exactly what you're trying to solving the problem that you're trying to solve, despite their best of intent to protect you, they are not as well equipped as someone who has solved that problem before. So having a network of people like in the $2,000 coffee where you can tap them on the shoulder and say, by the way, this person's trying to solve this and you've done this three times. Can you teach them what you wouldn't guess they got to be ready for that's going to block their goals or going to be something they're going to a hurdle they're going to have to be able to overcome? Learning from someone else who's actually done it before, I believe the most efficient, most valuable, least risk, smartest decision that anybody can make. So we now are in uh, the start of our quick fire session. And so we'll start with you, Neil. Tell us a little bit about a takeaway that you have learned or want to reiterate to our audiences today, something from this podcast, and then we'll go around the table with the Serenity Sisters. The best thing that I learned recently, which has been applicable in, in so many different inter- interactions in, in what is a new industry, relatively new industry, I'm, listening, I'm about two years into this um, construction industry, having someone work in advance of committing to each other making sure they enjoy the team, the projects that they're joining in on. And for us, getting a chance to see how they work, uh, the outcome of their work and the, and the impact they have on the team, testing someone. And I know it's scary in a tight labor market to not lock someone in, but there's risk of locking in the wrong person as much as it is for the individual locking in with the wrong company. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a real strong believer now in what is a new practice for me, which is to hire people to work on a project or for a short period of time on a, on a defined outcome and see how it goes before and pay them, but see how it goes before locking in for long term to make sure that everybody's set up for success. Mm-hmm. Great. I like that. I like, I like it that. too. For me today, you've totally spoken quite a bit about something that I've always tried to get to the clients that I work with, and that's the get the right people at the table. You can't be everything to your business. Get the right people. You totally made a lot of sense there. I hope people listen to that. I'll echo what Candace said, and it's kind of the reason why we set up our company, Partners for Growth, is that you all have superpowers. We all do, whether we are aware of it or not, but we do. And that's your strength. And I, I'm not a fan of get learning and expertise in every area of your business. Just focus on what you do best and keep on learning, keep on adding to that skill set and then outsource all the rest. And that's where you find that team of good partners and advisors that you can trust and work well with. As much as we love our parents, if they, as Neil said, are, are good friends or parents or cheerleaders, But you do need to find the experts that have done it, not just done it, but they're successfully done it, but also failed at it. And they're both of those learnings are great and significant. So that's that's where I'll leave it. Just focus on your strengths, everyone. And it actually is cheaper and faster and stronger for you to hire the best experts for all the rest. 
Neil, what I liked um, in your comments was your approach to checking LinkedIn as a reference, as opposed to asking. I've always thought that process of asking someone for a reference is kind of ridiculous because I'm not going to put a reference down that isn't good. I like that you check through people that you know this person because, you know, that again leads to that experience side. What's the experience with this person? And that is a big teller. And I think that's a great idea. I'm going to use that. Well, maybe I won't. I'm going to retire. (laughs) You keep saying you're going to retire, but (laughs) I might use it. (laughs) There were were so many great things that I liked. I liked your honesty about not seeing red flags. But there are entrepreneurs, you know, ones that are starting out that might have a gut instinct. And I think one of the things I've learned is listening to that gut instinct and not ignoring it. And so if you do have that intuition, you do have that feeling, don't ignore it. Really look at that, dive in, see what's making you feel uncomfortable about a situation, about entry to a market, maybe about a person. It seems to me what I gathered from what you were saying is, If you don't have that instinct yourself, surround yourself with people that might be able to see those red flags. And you can't always see them coming, like you said. But when you do, you got to you got to face them. So if you have that instinct, you can build a business around it. If you can build a business around your superpower, I have brought people in who have really intuitive into interviews for positions they have no idea about. But they'll sit there and watch the person and interact with the person that we're interviewing. And after I'll say, what do you think? And they'll have seen stuff that they thought was so obvious, which I completely didn't see. And if I didn't have that a person to sit in the room, you could even hire someone, a human polygraph. And that becomes the business for the people who have that superpower. As long as you build a business around what your superpower is, you're setting yourself up for success. All right. And so for me, I think my quick fire is what you started with, which is you do need to look at the numbers in the company, the financials in the company over and above passion sometimes, right? Passion is one thing, but do you actually have a sound business idea that could make you the money that you would require to be able to live and um, grow the organization? And of course, people being such an important part of that, whether they are outsourced contractors, advisors, or staff. And so I think that is absolutely crucial. All right, we're going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much, Neil, for joining us. I mean, I've known you for so long as well. And what I love about what you're able to bring to the entrepreneurial community is just really sound advice. And you've shared that with us today. We hope this brought some entrepreneurs listening to Serenity Now, some serenity today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode and picked up some good tips and best practices that would benefit your entrepreneurial journey. Remember, none of the content in this podcast should be relied upon as standard legal or business advice. Always consult a professional for your specific business. You may know someone who could benefit from this podcast. Please share it with your business community and perhaps it can give an entrepreneur you know some serenity now.